coming up next in The Ziggler Show. Finally, we use this inner voice to, um, to make sense of our lives. You know, when we experience all sorts of adversity, oh my God, why did this happen? Why am I feeling this way? We turn our attention inward and we try to create stories. And those stories we create, we use our inner voice to create them. And guess what? Those stories define who we are, how we think about ourselves. They give rise to our identity. And your inner voice helps you do that. So from keeping things active in your head to storytelling, to planning, to controlling yourself, your inner voice is involved in all of those functions. And so you would not want to live life without an inner voice. You don't want to shut your inner voice up. What you want to do is prevent that inner voice from morphing into something that is truly toxic, which is what I call chatter. Welcome to The Ziggler Show. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. In this podcast, we take the core wisdom of self-help and personal development and break it down as to how it relates to our world today, to your world today. You can dig in more with each episode at kevinmiller.co, and you can see the videos on YouTube if you want of every show, every guest at kevinmiller.co. It's no secret we all have an inner voice, whether you speak it out loud, write letters in your head like I do, or it's just the constant stream of thoughts and feelings running amok at all times. And a frequent directive we hear is to shut the voice up or ignore it. And one, this is impossible. And two, that voice is there for a reason. And the opportunity we all have is to harness it for our personal success. Ethan Cross, he's a PhD, one of the world's leading experts on controlling the conscious mind, which I start the show pushing back on a little bit. I mean, can we really control our conscious mind? Of course, Ethan says, yes, that's why he's on the show. He's an award-winning professor at the University of Michigan and it's Ross School of Business and is the director of the Emotional and Self-Control Laboratory, which is a cool name. Ethan has participated in policy discussion at the White House and has been interviewed on CBS Evening News, Good Morning America, Anderson Cooper Full Circle, and NPR's Morning Edition. I brought him on the show because I got a hold of his new book, Chatter. The tagline says the voice in our head, why it matters, and how to harness it. That tagline was the hook for me, why it matters and how to harness it. Again, not shut it up or shut it out. You can connect with Ethan at ethancross.com. Of course, get the book anywhere you get books. And if you're new to Ziggler and are a coach or want to become one, let the Ziggler family empower you at ziggler.com slash coach leadership program. Now I bring you Ethan Cross and the voices in your head. Ethan, your bio says one of the world's leading experts on controlling the conscious mind. And at face value, I thought, okay, that's a lot. That's a lot. Not, not you being an expert that I'll, that I, that I can go with, but the ability to actually control our conscious mind. I thought it's, it's kind of like herding cats, isn't it? To, to claim that I mean, how much percentage, I don't know if that's a fair question even, but to say that we're generally just going along as you talk about in your book and we're just kind of reacting to life and doing it. And you're saying, no, you can, you can control a lot of this, but I'm thinking, all right, what's my hope here, Ethan? Can I have well, I, 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 I sure hope you can control it. <laughs> um, otherwise, otherwise, a lot of the work I've spent doing is, is for naught. So, um, 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting. We spend between, um, there's a statistic in the book that I talk about. We spend between one half and, our, and one third of our waking hours not, not living in the moment, yeah. like lost in all sorts of thought. And sometimes that thought, those thoughts we have can get the best of us. Yeah. But what I think is so remarkable about people is that we evolve this capacity to, to really harness the way we think about the world. And if we know how to push our thoughts around, then that can translate into experiencing the world uh, more optimally, right? Feeling better, not, not getting stuck in negative thought spirals and so forth. So, uh, so it is a lot and uh, there's a lot of work out there on it um, and a lot of cool insights that, that we've learned over the, over the years. Well, and you're here because I like your insights and you, to me, gave a more tangible way to grasp the concept of, of you, what you just said, being present, being present in the moment. So we hear that a lot. We got, you know, I've had meditation experts on here and debating on, can you really clear your mind, you know, or not? Is that actually even possible? And you're just saying, you know, be present of your mind of that talk that's going on. And it seems kind of elementary when I say it like that, but it was, it was just not a, not a, just be present in the moment, but no, listen to that dialogue that is going on and whose dialogue it is and isn't, is it even my dialogue? And that just, I, it did, it did. It felt more tangible than this aspect of, yeah, just be present. And even from a, I mean, how do you view that meditative call to be present and you know, don't think about anything, empty your mind. Where are you on that? Well, you know, I think this, um, well, first let me share. Um, I've been familiar with this argument to be present for, close to 40 years or so. And I'm not, I'm not that old. So what do I mean by that? I mean, like I grew up in a household where my dad constantly talked about the importance of being in the now and meditating. He was consumed by interest in Eastern philosophy. And he, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't a philosopher and academic. He was a, 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 a salesman who shifted from job to job every few years. So there was no academic interest yet, but he was really interested in meditation and that philosophy. And he shared it with me a lot. My thoughts on being in the moment is I think being in the moment and turning your attention to your current experience is one tool that can be very effective when people are struggling with big emotions, when they're getting lost in a negative thought spiral, or what I call chatter, but it is one tool of many. And I think the latter message is often lost when we talk about the importance of being in the moment in popular culture, because at least the, the messaging that I often hear is you should always try to be in the moment. And if you find yourself not being in the moment, you want to refocus because that's not optimal. Right. That is a statement that I fundamentally disagree with. The human mind did not evolve to always be in the moment we evolve the capacity to travel in time in our minds. And this is not a bad thing. This is a really, really good thing. Your ability to travel in time in your minds, to reflect on the past, um, anticipate the future, this is a superpower. I don't use that word lightly, but I mean, think about what traveling in time in your mind lets you do. You can learn from your past experiences to make sure you don't mess up again. You could savor yeah. past conquests of sorts. Like the last time you had an amazing interview or, or your kid did something remarkable. Like you can replay that in your mind to re-experience that positive emotion. When it comes to thinking about the future, you know, my ability to anticipate things, I think is one of the reasons I've, if I've had any degree of success, I think that's 
part of what has helped me is I can I can simulate what's going to happen down the road and prepare for it. I don't always get it right, but I'm trying to be proactive. That involves traveling in time in your mind. I think what has happened in modern times is um, this ability that we have to travel in time in our minds, although it's really useful, it can be a little hairy. Sometimes this mental time travel machine we possess breaks down. What I mean by that is something bad happens. You want to try to make sense of it so you can move on with your life. So you go back and you think about it, but you don't, you're not able to just focus on it, extract some insight, and then move on. You instead get stuck. You ruminate or perseverate. And that is definitely not a good thing. I wrote a whole book about why that's not a good thing, what you can do about it. But I think it is an oversimplification to say, hey, because we can at times get stuck in the past or the future, we should just never go there at all. That is not what the original Eastern philosophical um, texts suggest. And it's not something I would advocate folks doing. Well, and when you, in reading the book, it gave me pause to consider that because in any given moment, especially if I'm looking at the joy, kind of like Rick Hansen's hardwiring happiness, right? And I want to, he says, I'm going to get more joy to really take it captive. One, you know, be in the moment, take it captive and really register it, not just notice it, but just let it sink in. Okay, so I've got that, but I'm realizing in reading your book that so much of the richness of that is often attached to experiences in the past, to nostalgia of a moment similar to that, and it pulls it back. And I find myself, yes, it's attached to the past. And then, not conversely, I guess, in addition, I'm also enjoying thinking about something in, uh, in relation to it also, that's going to happen in the future. It gives me joy. So it feels like it can make that moment rich, but I know that I have had lots of times, especially on the future thinking of it, where that's the only thing I'm there. My wife called me out one time. It was our first big getaway. We went to, I think it was Cancun and we're there. And she got on to me because instead of just being in the moment, appreciating, I was just talking about what we would do on our next trip to make it even better. Right. That's probably a good depiction of what you're talking about, the balance there. Yeah. I th- well, and that balance is, you know, I would say um, whether that was good or bad for you, like, depends on a few things. Like, it, it, maybe you were really happy anticipating the next step and that wasn't causing you any problems, like just giving you more joy. Right. Like, this experience is awesome. How can we make it even better? You know, and whereas maybe your wife was more interested in just, being in that moment and not thinking yeah. about anything else. There's, there's variability in this. There are individual differences, but, but yeah, what you're describing is absolutely what where I'm talking about to, to be very concrete. I'm right now in like an incredibly busy stretch. Uh, the, 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 you know, the, these two weeks, most challenging for me of the semester, what do I do in part to, improve the way I'm feeling. I think, you know, thinking about the now, the moment is not pleasant because I have so many things I need to do. So my escape there is thinking about what happened two weeks ago when my family and I went on our first international trip since the pandemic began. I think about the amazing things we did, the wonderful family times we had in in the past. That gives me great joy. And then I think about what we're doing in a couple of weeks when we're going to do something again. And so that's not, that that is traveling in time in my mind and um, it's serving me well. It's not harming me. Well, one of the things again, that 
enamored me with not only your message, but with you is kind of the credibility aspect that we give to someone who has been overweight and they show us their huge pants and now they are, you know, smaller size and they've dealt with this. They know what it's like. That's who you want to help you lose weight as opposed to somebody who's just been thin all their life. And you start off with the book in discussing how you're in this. Like you said, you've always been in this. This has been a topic you grew up with. And yet amidst that you had, you've have had some significant struggles. Like you're, you're, here you are, you're the guy and you're realizing and looking back and you wrote about this candidly in the book and, and you're, you're, you're off, you're off base. You just went off the reservation yeah. with, with this and that it's an ongoing thing. So you're talking about, this is a tool that we can use to help us. We're not going to eradicate the issues necessarily, but you are giving us the opportunity to little by little more and more, have more control so that what, so that that doesn't happen. We don't fall off. Or if we do, we can just get back on track quicker. Both. Well, you know, people ask me this a lot. Okay. Like, so have you, you know, Hey, you wrote a book on chatter and all these science-based tools you can use to manage it. Do you ever experience chatter? And I, you know, I, I usually pause and I go, yeah, on occasion. <laughs> I think, I think most of us do. I've yet to meet someone who has never experienced chatter. I've heard people have described some, you know, mystical entities out there that yeah. never experience. I've never, I've never met them firsthand. Um, I think it getting stuck in a negative thought loop is, is for most of us, a part of life now. Um, and, you know, do I think, uh, knowing about the different science-based tools that are out there. And I say science-based, I preface tools with it because, you know, apropos what we were just talking about with being in the moment, there's a lot of messaging out there about, this this issue this you know this chatter is i think a core affliction of of everyday life and so you have a lot of people like offering advice on how to deal with it and not all of it is actually true and whereas one thing that one message i feel strongly about is that we use science to guide us here because i think it gives us the the best shot of allowing us to handle um our our, our inner mess so to speak yeah but um but do I experience chatter at times? Yes. Have I gotten better at managing it, knowing about these tools? Yes. Do I think I will continue to experience chatter in the future? Yes. But what I'm really good at is the moment the chatter triggers, I've got a game plan that I instantly implement and it usually muffles that chatter. It, 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 it shortens the period that I get stuck in it. So usually it's just you know, a couple of minutes rather than hours or days, which if you look at the data, at the literature, and what we know about chatter, shortening the amount of time you spend in it is really important for your health, your relationships, your performance and decision-making. So, um, so I do think there's, there's huge potential for these strategies to positively impact people. So let's define, or I'll ask you to define chatter because you're not saying that chatter is, and I want people to hear this. It's not, well, the title of your book is, is chatter, the voice in your head, why it matters and how to harness it. So just like you said, the idea of, you know, don't, don't spend time in the past. Don't time travel. That, that's, that's, we're missing the point. And in the same way, you're not saying shut up the voice in your head, which I, I have heard plenty. And I know you've heard it more of the idea of just don't listen, get rid of that voice in your head. It's, it's a jerk. Whatever you're saying, no, in essence, is it fair to say, you know, you get to harness it. You're not going to stop it, but you can harness it for your good. And that would be taking chatter from, is that fair to say, uh, let's take chatter 
from meaningless small talk and negative often to positive conversation and direction? Yeah, positive conversation and direction, storytelling. Um, well, let, let me break okay. it down really, really, yeah. really clearly for everyone. So, um, so we've got this inner voice. What the hell is an inner voice, right? You know, so we hear that phrase thrown around so many different ways. When scientists like myself use that phrase, what we're talking about is our ability to silently use language to reflect on your life. So you're, you're using words, but not out loud. You know, if I were to ask you to um, repeat a phrase in your head, like, I love the Yankees. I love the Yankees. I love the Yankees. Hopefully that's not aversive for you or any <laughs> listeners. You'd be using your inner voice, right? We're, so it's silently using language. Now, turns out that this ability to use language silently, to have an inner voice, this gives us a major advantage as a species because our inner voice lets us do lots of basic and important things. So here, let me, let me break down a few of the key functions that your inner voice provides. At the most basic end of the spectrum, your inner voice lets you keep information active in your head for short periods of time. So if you were to memorize a phone number, and repeat it in your head. I guess people don't really do that anymore with <laughs> smartphones, but like a but like if you working, want to, working short-term memory, is that what we're along with? That's like? exactly right. Your inner voice is part of your 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 working memory system. So uh, your working memory is a s- system is this basic feature of the mind. It lets you just keep information active for short periods of time. So if you go to the grocery store and you want to just remind yourself, hey, what am I supposed to get? Right. You know, yogurt, mangoes, red peppers. That's my grocery list, I guess, right now. <laughs> I like it. You're repeating that in your head. That's your inner voice. Without that, you're in big trouble. We use our inner voice for that reason every day. We use our inner voice to simulate and plan. I, I just got back from uh, doing a set of presentations. And before the presentation, I I went for a walk. It was actually, it was in Las Vegas. And I, I went for a walk around the casino. And in my head, I was repeating what I was going to say word for word during the presentation right. later that day. I was rehearsing. Many people use their inner voice for this reason before dates or, or presentations or interviews, right? You're, you're just going over what you're going to say. You hear what other people might say, what questions they might ask you. That's using your inner voice to simulate and plan. We use our inner voice to control ourselves. When I'm exercising, I'm often counting down the number of, of reps I have left. I'm often giving myself some encouraging feedback. Come on, you know, five more sets and you'll feel better. Sometimes I am lobbing inappropriate words towards the instructors who are telling me to do painful things, right. all silently, all inner voice. Yeah. And then finally, we use this inner voice to, um, to make sense of our lives. You know, when we experience all sorts of adversity, shit happens. Oh my God, why did this happen? Why am I feeling this way? We turn our attention inward and we try to create stories. And those stories we create, we use our inner voice to create them. And guess what? Those stories define who we are, how we think about ourselves. They give rise to our identity. And your inner voice helps you do that. So from keeping things active in your head to storytelling, to planning, to controlling yourself, your inner voice is involved in all of those functions. And so you would not want to live life without an inner voice. You don't want to shut your inner voice up. What you want to do is prevent that inner voice from morphing into something that is truly toxic, which is what I call chatter, which involves getting stuck in a negative thought loop, right? So the idea here is something bad has happened. You're trying to use your inner voice to work through a problem. Why am I so angry? Why, you know, this anxiety is driving me nuts. But rather than coming up with a solution and moving on with your life, 
you get stuck just turning over that negativity in your head over and over. Oh my God, what if this, they said that, blah, blah, blah. And you just keep all the negative feelings active in ways that really make life um, pretty miserable um, for as long as you're stuck in it. So that's what we want to avoid. You are listening to The Ziggler Show with my guest, Ethan Cross, talking about the voices in our head from his book, Chatter. We'll be right back. Well, when you talk about that aspect right there and, and storytelling, so this event just happened and I, my initial gut reaction is negative. That was a, that was a bad thing. And so it feels like there's two aspects to grapple with. There is one, do I just take that negative interaction, that negative issue and curtail it? Kind of like the, uh, you know, I remember Hal Elrod with his little five minute rule. If something negative happens, he's going to give himself five minutes to complain and gripe about it. And then that's it. And of course, he kept lessening that time to where, why, why give it, why give it any time? Okay. So that's one aspect is controlling, the, like you said, the negative thought loop. But then on the other side, when you're talking about storytelling, I'm thinking about reframing and the ability to look at that and question, was that really negative? Should I be looking at that negative? Now, Anytime we say that though, people get caught in that. Oh, so you're just going to Pollyanna it, right? And pretend like that car wreck was really great and play with that with me so that people don't fall on either side. Well, I don't know where, where do they need to fall with that? Well, I think, um, so, you know, storytelling and reframing, Yeah. this is, this is another one of those like amazing features that we possess, right? Yeah. Um, this like the fact that we could change the way we think to change the way we feel that that is like um the mantra of many forms of of therapeutic interventions that have been shown empirically shown to like relieve enormous suffering talking about things like cognitive therapy here here's the problem that i think so many of us struggle with at times which is we we know we have the ability to change the way we think to change the way we feel not everyone knows this but but, you know, many people have that maybe we, intuition. We, we, we could say that the, uh, this audience is an aspiring. This audience, yeah, this audience they, they get that. Yeah. But here's my question for you, Kevin. Yeah. So, you know, this you've spoken to countless experts about this, right? I think mm-hmm. I think that you, this is like your thousandth show or we're coming really close up to that number. So you basically have had like the equivalent of several PhDs worth of 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 training on this with all these shows you've done. You can call me doctor. I'll take that. I'm going to call you doc. Thanks. Um, Thanks. And so um, do you though ever struggle to actually do that in the heat of the moment? That is, you know, that you should possess, you do possess the ability to change the way you think, to change the way you feel. But when you are in the middle of it, you're having a lot of trouble actually doing that. No, I want, I want to answer the question because it's a, that's really important one to me because there are some aspects, let's say that it was a car wreck. Okay. Let's say that it's uh, some circumstantial thing, kind of like, you know, you're captain of the ship, things are going awry and do, am I aware? And do I have the ability to curtail control manage? I I would say, yeah, I I would actually say I'm a rock star. Okay. But in that context, now let's go over here into the other sphere of my life of most people's lives of relationships. And let's say it's a conflict Let's even go to the, to the height. Let's say it's a conflict with my wife. How capable am I there? I stink. I, yeah. even, well, well, go ahead. No, I love that you brought that up because it, that, that touches on another 
really important um, topic that I think doesn't get enough play, which is we all have our triggers, what yeah. you might call our chatter triggers or our emotion regulation difficulties. Like um, we often talk about people, oh, you're good or bad at controlling yourself. Exactly. But, yes. but in fact, I can be exceptionally good at managing my mind in context A, B, and C. Yes. But, you know, you put a four foot, four foot tall, you know, eight-year-old in front of me and get them to spark things and I'm in big trouble, right? Right. So, so understanding what those contexts are that trigger you, I think can be really, really important. Well, and so that is, that's where I look at it and go, gosh, that's, and it's frustrating too, because so you're saying, okay, Kevin, are you, do you have the ability to be aware in a moment to deal with that chatter? And I, I am in so much of my life, uh, especially yeah. when it's non-relational or it's not, let's yeah. say even non-conflict, non-emotional. I yeah. can't, cause even, even relational, man, if we're in a business meeting, we're talking ideas and talking, uh, thoughts and opportunities, man, I'm, I'm pretty present. I can be present of you. Like I'm watching your face. I'm listening. I'm, I'm you know, even this conversation. How's it look? Is it okay? You look hot. Actually. I, I, yeah. I shaved for you today. I, I didn't <laughs> for the first time ever. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's okay. But being, you know, so in these contexts, you know, I, I was a professional athlete, man, and dealing with high pressure and reading the scenario. Yeah. Now come over here in relationships. And I talked about, you know, a spouse, you talked about a kid and there are some areas and I get maybe overly frustrated more so than normal because over here, the math works over here. I feel like the same person, but I just lost it. Now you said a trigger. Um, and that's an area that hits to my own. Now I'm looking at, okay, what are my weaknesses? What are my pains? What are my traumas? What are my, and then, yeah, so it gets messy. It gets messy. And I think what's remarkable is that, you know, for someone like yourself or me, I put, you know, I, I'm also aware of a lot of these principles. There are moments when I know I possess the ability to re to change the way I think to change the way I feel. But for whatever reason, I'm having trouble activating that ability in the heat of the moment. Right. And and that's where I think some of the, the tools that are out there can be really useful for, for giving people this capacity. The, the bigger point I was, I was wanting to make is that I think a lot of people like intuitively are motivated to work through painful experiences, whether they be anger or anxiety related or depression related, they want to feel better. They want to think differently about this, right? Because it's not fun bathing in the negativity for prolonged periods of time. The problem is if you don't have the tools, then that motivation doesn't translate into actual feeling better. So you could be as motivated as you want to do something. Let's use like um, fitness as an example here. You can have folks that are like super motivated to, to, to get that, you know, six pack or whatever. I've never, never known it, but you know, I, I hear it's a nice thing to have, Supposedly. right. And, and, but if you don't know what exercises to yeah. do and how to eat, you can, can want it all you want. It's not going to happen. Something analogous happens when it comes to regulating our emotional life, right? You want to, I think a lot of people are motivated to feel better, but if they don't know what tools to use to get them to that point, they're not going to get there. And that's where I see science as providing real potential value because what scientists like myself have been doing for the past several decades is 
trying to identify what these tools are that exist. And hey, guess what? There's no single tool. And this is another message I think we often get wrong. We're, we're, we're usually looking for like the one thing that sure. is going to transform our entire lives. Like I wish, Kevin, it existed. Like sign me up if, if I could find that one tool that will magically make all of the chatter go away. But that's just not how the human mind works. What we know instead is that there are multiple tools, close, you know, over two dozen, I talk about in my book that are out there for helping us manage these internal conversations and different tools work for different people in different situations. So the things that work for you with, you know, hostile podcast guests may be quite different from the ones that work with your wife. Well, speak to that to some degree. And I know you can't go through an exhaustive, you know, uh, explanation of everything you've got on your list, but you mentioned, you mentioned cognitive therapy, which my wife is involved, uh, with in her work. So I understand or have some understanding of cognitive therapy. A lot of people who are listening to the show will have run across at some point in the past couple of years, some of the information now on psychedelics, right? We've got some people, I'm not an expert in there. I, I know it's one of the things that's talked about. I've read a little bit, get it conceptually, but have not experienced any work there, but it's getting a lot of uh, real estate these days in the personal development world is psychedelics. And you've got people like Michael Pollan and Tim Ferriss who are, who are really big on this. So people are looking at it. Should I, should I go that direction? And I think that's where it can get overwhelming. Okay. I hear the message. Yes, of course I want control over that, which, what should I do? And of course you're saying, what's well, not just a one, what it's a, which should I? So again, I know you can't go through every resource, but even in some understanding of if this is your issue, like, like that, would that be fair for you? If this is your trigger, this could be a possible resource that's going to work for you. Yeah. Well, so, so let me break, break down the, the universe of tools, because I think it can be really overwhelming for folks yeah. um, to hear, oh, there are, you know, 30 tools out there. So yeah. what do I do? Um, the, you know, the, the, so let me first say the tools that I talk about in my book, this is not an exhaustive list. It is instead a list of tools that um, uh, I think there's a reasonable amount of evidence supporting and um that cluster together into three domains. So there are things you could do on your own, ways to change the way you think about your circumstances that can be useful. There are what, what I would call people tools, ways of interacting with other people in your social networks that could be really helpful. And you know, to give you the sneak peek, it doesn't just involve talking to someone else because in fact, other people can be an amazing asset or a tremendous liability when it comes to our chatter. Um, And I think it's a really important uh, point for listeners to uh, internalize. And then there are what we might call environmental tools, which are ways of interacting with your physical spaces that can help you regulate these conversations we have with ourselves from the outside in. Uh, I don't talk about substances. Um, Substances can play a role in shifting around our chatter. Um, for better and also for worse. Um, You know, psychedelics is, I think, a really interesting one that is, you know, was in vogue several decades ago, has now recently come back on the scene due in part to um, folks like Pollen and others. And I think think the, the jury is still out on psychedelics and the role that they play in helping us. Um, In fact, there's a great piece I just came across my desk a couple of days ago saying, uh, we still need a lot 
to do more work before we we start you know prescribing these things writ, writ large. So um, so that's the those are three buckets of tools things you could do on your own people tools and environmental tools. Let me let me walk you through maybe a couple that I use. Um, again, these are not like I don't say that these are the the four or five I'm going to tell you about. This is not the four or five that's going to work for everyone. My wife uses other tools for her chatter, but these happen to work for me. Well, it, first, it, it, can I yeah. ask real quick, Ethan? I mean, you talked about exercise, working out that as you're talking here, I'm getting this image of, yeah, if I walk, if I say, you know, I want to get fit, I want to build muscle, lose weight, whatever. And there's, you know, it's new year's resolutions and there's a you know, hundred of us walking into the gym. And of course we want to say, okay, we all want to get fit. What, what machines should we use? Cause there's a hundred machines. And of course you as the trainer would say, oh, I, I don't know what's your personal goal and what are you working with? And if you got a back injury, you're not going to be doing squats. So is that a fair way to come into this? Well, you know, I think what you're describing is where the science is going. Okay. But um, if we stick with this gym metaphor, what I think we've done a fairly good job of doing is building different pieces of equipment. So, so, you know, we've got a little mental fitness gym and it's got maybe 30 pieces of equipment in there. Um, what we have not yet nailed from a scientific point of view is the exact circuit that you, Kevin, should go on to deal with your relationship chatter. But I want you to go on a different circuit when it comes to chatter from your guests. Okay. That is where... Yeah. We're do I'm my team is working on that right now, as are many other scientists. Um, now science is slow moving. I wish it was faster. It is not like I don't know if you know you've heard of this from other guests, but you would probably be shocked if I told you how long it takes to like get one set of findings out the door. Like really long time. So the question for for listeners is: all right, well, while science is working on cracking that puzzle of being able to prescribe personalized sets of tools for different people. What the hell am I supposed to do? Yeah. And there, my invitation is to folks. My invitation to folks is to start doing a little self-experiment. Like, Go buy Chatter by <laughs> Ethan Cross. That's step number one. I'll let, I'll let you say that. Okay. Very kind I just, of you. I just but, did. But, 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 you know, start trying out the different tools to figure out, Hey, what is the unique combination of tools that really work for me? I've settled on a, a combination of tools that work really, really well for me. Um, they're again, different from what my best friend uses and what my, my wife uses. Yeah. It's, it, this is a, like a personalized form of intervention, but there's nothing to stop you from starting to develop that personalized prescription. So, but just to give folks, you know, some concreteness yeah. here. So what works for me? I, the first thing I do is something called distanced self-talk, which just bear with me here. Give me 60 seconds to make my case because when I first describe it, it may sound a little wacky. What it involves doing is I will silently use my own name and the second person pronoun you to try to work through a problem, to try to give myself advice like I was talking to a good friend. All right, Ethan, what should you do here? Here's how you're going to manage a situation. It almost seems comical, right? We make fun of people who do this on on sitcoms and, and, and on television, but, but there's been a lot of science behind this. And, and here's how distant self-talk works. We know that people in general are much better at giving advice to others than we are giving advice to ourselves surrounding emotional issues. 
most people have had the experience of a friend or a loved one coming to them with a problem. They're spinning over it. They don't know what to do. They present the problem to you. It's really easy for you to coach them through that situation. I mean, has this ever happened to you, Kevin? Well, it's interesting that you're saying this because I think I'm, I think I'm going to credit it to Mitch Album. Everybody knows yeah. him. Tuesdays with Maury. He was on the show not that long ago. I think it was him, but he talked about somebody. Somebody talked about it. If somebody's hearing us and it was you, I apologize for getting it wrong. But about the decisions, we're looking at a decision to make for ourselves. And often, if we could remove ourselves out of that, and it was somebody else, we would pretty clearly see what the best decision to make is. And I love that perspective. And that's what I feel like you're saying that if I can remove myself and talk to this person as a separate person, I'm able to So yeah, I'm enamored with the concept. Keep going. Yeah, that is exactly the idea. Um, and what I find so amazingly interesting about distant self-talk is we, we can use language to, to shift our perspectives relatively effortlessly, right? So we don't have to like stop and, all right, let me be objective now. How would I think about it if I'm not involved in the situation? Yeah. We can go through that mental exercise. Like there are studies which have people do exactly that. And it does help them think more objectively, yeah. but it's pretty effortful to do it. Whereas distant self-talk, just using your name or the second person pronoun you to shift your perspective this is really easy to do. I'd encourage listeners to just try it the next time they're, they're dealing with something. Just, hey, talk to yourself using your own name. The way this works is most of the time that we use names and the word you, we're using those parts of speech when we're thinking about and referring to other people. So in your mind, there's a really tight link between a name and thinking about someone else, hmm. right? And so the idea here is when you use your own name to think about your life, it's turning on the mental machinery that we have for thinking about others. And that makes it much, much easier to work through our problems. So that's the first thing I'll do. I'm, I'm noticing a little chatter beginning to brew. All right, Ethan, what should you do here? Here's how you're going to manage this. Yeah. I start like giving myself that little coach-like talk and, and it really usually helps. Next thing I do is something called mental time travel, which is another kind of distancing strategy, but it's very different. Um, I, I often call this my 2 a.m. chatter strategy. What I mean by that is, um, yeah, I'd say every like four to six weeks, it's not predictable. 2 a.m., I'll just, my, and I'll pop up out of bed, my eyes will be wide open, and I'm like overcome with, how am I going to deal with this? Has this ever happened to you, Kevin? Uh huh, uh huh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, and when yeah. that happens, it's really hard to get out of it for me. It's, well, exactly. It's hard because, you're not just sleeping, but your brain is basically sleeping in rest mode as well. So you don't actually have, you know, all of your um, capacities to think flexibly at your fingertips, right? That's in part why it can be so disruptive when you have that chatter in the middle of the night. So I've got like a go-to plan for me that really makes a difference. And it is this thing called mental time travel. And it's super simple. What it involves doing is um, I think to myself, oh my God, how am I going to do X, Y, or Z? And then I think you're going to feel better about this in the morning. Hmm. Or how are you going to feel about this a week from now or six months from now? What I'm doing there is the following. When we experience chatter, regardless of whether it's at 2 a.m. or 2 p.m., we zoom in on the problem, Right where just all of our attention is on this issue and we can't think of anything else. 
When you step back and broaden your perspective and look at the bigger picture, what you often find are reasons to not worry as much. You find explanations, ways of putting this, this instance in perspective, contextualizing it in ways that make you feel better. And so mental time travel helps us by making it clear to us that, hey, this, this may feel like the world is ending right now, but we know most things that we go through eventually, their impact fades with time. Right. Most things do get better. And so you could just, just reminding yourself of the fact that, hey, you're probably not going to be worried about this as much tomorrow morning or a week from now. That highlights how unstable what you're going through is. And that gives us hope. Hope is really powerful for, for you know, wrestling down an inner voice run amok. You are listening to The Ziggler Show with my guest, Ethan Cross, talking about the voices in our head from his book, Chatter. We'll be right back. That, and now that's different too, because as I'm thinking about this personally, my gut, because you're talking about, let's try to address it and uh, tie it up, put it to bed a, a little bit so that, so that I can go back to bed as that's opposed right. to, I think my propensity is distraction. Let me just get, think about something else. Yeah. Then that, that just, here's the, here's the thing with distraction. Yeah. If you can do it, Fantastic but it's really hard to do sometimes when you're mired in chatter. So number one, when you're really stuck in that chatter, it has a way of consuming your attention. So unless you have this amazing ability to get your mind off the problem, which is I think hard to do at 2am, unless you've got a really good Netflix show to to watch or book, right? right? Your mind just keeps coming back to it. And then it's, it could be really distressing. Um, The other thing is that, with distraction, distraction can give us short-term breaks from our problems, but because it doesn't do anything to deal with it, when you stop distracting, the problem often comes back. Yeah. The beauty of mental time travel, um, or you know, if people want to geek out here, the technical term for this is temporal distancing, distancing through time. Okay. The beauty behind this technique is you're not, there's no Pollyannics. If that's a word I just created. I like, no, I like it. It's brilliant. Polyannix. That has that could be real, your next book. Yeah, there we go. Right up there with L. Ron Hubbard, Dianetics. <laughs> um, so um, just joking. I'm just yeah, joking. yeah. Um, so um, there's no, you're not, you're not, um, you're not pretending things are, 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 are different from how they actually are. All you're saying is you're, you're tapping into your experience here because Most of us have been through a lot of bad things in our life and we have persisted through them. We've, we've, we've dealt with them. And so you're just reminding yourself that most experiences peak and then come down. And we often lose sight of that when we're really um, in the midst of an intense emotional experience. You know, on this aspect of our propensity to have negatives, we talk to have negative thinking to reframe things. Uh, a couple weeks ago, if, if even that long, I had Dan Pink on the show who gave, uh, he, he's in your book as a testimony to your book I saw. And of course, his new book, Power of Regrets, and he's saying the regret is, can have power. If we won, don't reject it. We don't want to be no regrets people. But on the other side, we don't want to 
wallow in it. So it's, again, it's back to your message of, I keep thinking of the word harnessing. We want to, we're not going to get rid of it. We're just talking about, you know, taking a wild horse. We're harnessing it. We're not getting rid of it. Yeah. I know. I love the message of Dan's book. Um, uh, and it is, it is very much consistent with, with, um, you know, the work I've done and the, the message of chatter, which is look, negative experiences are a part of life. And, and in fact, we don't, you know, negative emotions are, are, are themselves actually quite useful. You don't want to live life without any negative feelings. Like I know that people often, I don't want to have any negativity, just be positive. That wouldn't be a good thing either because negative emotions and small doses are actually functional. Like when I don't experience a small ping of anxiety before an upcoming event, those are usually the events that don't go so well because what the anxiety does is it is a it's a cue that says, hey, you need to prepare a little bit. You need to be on your game. You need to be energized. So a little bit of negativity is a good thing. Um, furthermore, I, I think it's pretty hard um, to never experience anything negative because yeah. we don't we can't control everything around us. And so rather than try to try to reduce all forms of negativity, let's figure out how to not let that negativity spiral yeah. into ways that permeate our lives. And um, yeah, there are lots of, lots of tools to help people do that. Well, and I mean, it's not that we haven't hit on this already, but I want to just take it captive and, and have you drill it home more because you take to task that concept of going inside, right? We need to, we need to look inside ourselves. We are as humans, programmed it seems like our propensity is to live this external life and so the enlightened thing to do is to go inside and you're saying that it well you're not at face value it almost says like you're saying no no that's that's the wrong thing to do and you're not saying it's not the wrong thing to do but we tend to do it wrongly if i just jet inside if i get the message and i just go inside where things are in disarray where i do not have things harnessed then that could be actually i could that could literally make things worse. And I'm sure you've experienced that that has happened a lot of times with people. They've gotten that message. Look inside yourself. They've done that. We just went South even further because what was going on was unharnessed. Well, yeah. I mean, I think we have tools and tools that can serve us really, really well. I would argue that the ability to introspect or go inside is a tool of the human mind that is responsible for letting us do things like innovate and create. I mean, think about how would we solve really big problems without being able to introspect, to look inside and try to play with an idea and bring our experiences to bear on things. Like, I think this capacity to introspect is what allows us to do things like build spaceships that blast off into outer space and build skyscrapers and develop vaccines and all sorts of, of innovations is this ability to not be in the moment, if you will, turn our attention inward and play with ideas. The problem is that this tool that we possess, it doesn't come with a guidebook. It doesn't come with a guidebook when you're born. And for most people, school doesn't give us lessons on how to wield this tool effectively. So instead, we have to try to just kind of like from trial and error in our lives, figure out how to wield it well. And I think most people are wielding this tool of introspection well most of the time. But when it gets stuck, it can be really bad. To use another analogy here, uh, you know, like think about a physical tool like a hammer. A hammer 
can be the source of real beauty in the right hands, right? With someone who knows how to use a hammer. If you put that hammer in the wrong hands, the hands that look like this for listeners, I'm putting up my hands. Like, yeah. I, I, I kid you not, Kevin, I'll, I'll give you a here. I, I bought a power washer several years ago. I was excited. I was like, I'm not going to pay people to power wash our, our deck. I'll just do it myself. Went to Home Depot, got one. If you came and visited, what you would see is like, a huge line in the sheet or is a drywall in our garage because I screwed up and, you know, I made this like terrible, terrible incision in the wall, a tool in the wrong hands. If you don't know how to use it can be destructive. That is what we're talking about here. It is about learning how to master the usage of these tools more effectively. We don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater just because introspection sometimes serves us poorly doesn't mean we should stop doing it in the same way that sometimes, you know, thinking about the past can get us into trouble, right? One, one overcorrection is to say, well, don't ever think about the past. Just always strive to be in the moment. I think that is not the, the most sophisticated form of intervention. When one of the lines in your book, Ethan, that again, it just see as I look at it and think about it, it seems so elementary, but I just got to admit it stood out. And you said, we talk to ourselves and we listen to what we say. And when I read that, I re- what dawned on me is how I don't give gravity to some of the junk that I say and do with myself. And I think probably I'm worse at it because I do think I'm aware. I know I'm a good guy. I know I'm competent. So I, all these things are a part of my reality. And yet in that moment, when that thing happens and I have this negative self-talk, I think of myself like such a jerk. I may even voice something externally, or at least it's going on in my head. And I'm so harsh. So, you know, the things that I would, of course, never speak to that to another human being at all. But I tend to think in my awareness, okay, it's just kind of benign. And what I, what I extrapolated out of it is you say, no, it's, it is not. And that was, it was honestly, it was convicting of going, I'm, I'm out here and so consistently just berating myself in a moment and these little termites are doing a job and I'm not giving them credit. Yeah. Again, I got to write. And I I think that's what makes it so damn pernicious, which is, which is they just eat away at us and we don't stop to second guess the fact that, Hey, a, they're having that effect, and B, we don't we don't actually have to listen to these to these things we're saying, and we can change that internal narrative. That, just recognizing that, I think, if the book does that for people, I'd be really happy because I think that in and of itself is empowering to know you don't have to be talking to yourself this way. You have options. This is something that I, I often talk about with my daughters, right? You know, kids when they're they're learning about their emotional lives, like in real time, right? They, they haven't had some emotional experiences and there are much of this is still very new and, and raw. And on several occasions, my daughters have come to me. I, I don't understand. Why am I feeling this way? What does this mean? And to be able to then say to them, it means that you're thinking in this way, which is causing you to feel this way. But right. guess what, sweetie, you don't have to, feel that way. You can actually think differently about this. And just giving them that, uh, I think is a gift that, um, that I, I certainly try to impart 
to them. But to your point, you know, we, we often have subjects in our studies. We get them to experience chatter. And then we ask them to tell us, hey, what's going through your mind? Tell us about those those termites. I, li- I love that term used. And they often are embarrassed to even articulate out loud what they were saying to themselves because it, it's so over the top, so ridiculous. And yeah. just being aware that we can have that propensity, I think, um, is empowering. Well, and that's where you have me thinking. You just mentioned a minute ago, changing the narrative and in reading your book and digging into the message, it got me into, have I questioned my narrative sufficiently, especially on the negative self-talk? Is that voice even mine? Is that thought, is that negative thought, is that expectation, is that even mine? Where did that come from? Did I get that from an expectation based on you know a cultural thing that I saw or a social media or whatever? Did that come from my parents? Did it come from an authority figure? And then further, and what am I really expecting of myself? Because when I ask me, myself that question, I, I'm expecting perfection. I expect to go through this day mistake-free and be on top of my game, just like I would toe up to the line of the next bike race and I would hope for that. And sometimes I could pull it off in a bike race. My daily life probably have never pulled it off in my entire life, yet that's my perspective. That's my expectation. And so if I question that narrative, that's what you brought me to is the reality that I am so often not. I'm trying to control the narrative, but I haven't really questioned it. And if I haven't, is, is there even the ability to control it? Yeah. Well, I think, I think this like recognizing that you can question it. That's like step one, Hmm. because once you start questioning it, I think what you'll find is that um, it's often relatively easy to shift that narrative. There are the, you know, what, what I sometimes describe as there are psychological jujitsu moves out there for just re recalibrating how we talk. Here's a really simple one. So when you put people in situations involving stress, we often ask ourselves two kinds of questions. We, we do it automatically. What, what's, what's the deal? What do I have to do here? And do I have the resources to do it? And if you look at the situation, you take stock and you think, no, I can't do this. That elicits what we call a threat response which is characterized by this very negative di- dialogue. Oh my God, how am I going to do this? It, it, and that dialogue in turn predicts poor performance. You feel bad, um, poor physical reactions as well. But what we've learned is that you can, you can change how you answer those two questions rather than think, not nah, can't do it. You can think about the fact that, hey, you, you've actually been in this situation before and you can do it. And, you know, even if it's scary, it'll be over in a couple of hours and then yeah. you'll be on to the next thing. And, and that involves going from a threat response, a threat narrative to a challenge narrative or a challenge mindset. And that can really um, change the way people think, feel and behave in, in consequential ways. It's a very simple thing to do. Right. But if you're not even aware of the fact that you possess the capacity to change your narrative, you're never going to even try to do it. Cause you, you mentioned that word jujitsu and I wrote that down. I'm sitting here thinking about it and I would like to be that master of here are the things today, life circumstances, events, relational encounters are going to happen to me. I cannot control the world. They're going to happen to me. So I would like to have this mental, emotional jujitsu and just be a rock star 
in every moment. So I can work to do that. But now you just talked about, you mentioned a threat narrative. That's a core underlying aspect that could exist in me. Let's say a victim mentality. If I have that, and that is a foundation of my being, that's really going to still, no matter, no matter my efforts to have this jujitsu, that's just, that's still going to be at the root of my capacity in that, which would take you calling us to, man, we, we need to have some understanding of this undergirding propensity or belief or emotional construct of ourselves. Yes. Well, you know, what's interesting is, um, there has been some work. Um, so, you know, just to put it out there, let's say I, I talk about 26 or so tools. Um, some of those tools, not all of them, but some of them have been studied in different populations in, in, in relatively healthy groups of people, as well as people who have more emotional baggage. And I don't want to make any sweeping conclusions here, but if you look at the data on the whole, what we tend to see is that these tools tend to work as well, or they're sometimes even more effective for people who have more of the emotional baggage. And the idea there is that there's a lot more room for the tools to have a benefit for people who have a propensity to experience more distress right. when they're getting stuck in a negative dialogue. And so I think there's a really good message there. Now, why some people have a tendency to be harder on themselves than others? Um, that's a fantastic question. Um, like so many things in psychology, it's probably a function of genes plus early childhood experiences yeah. and how those two come together in interesting ways. Um, but we don't, we haven't quite solved that puzzle um, where we can perfectly predict who's going to have the really intense form of chatter and who not. But regardless of people's propensities, the good news is that uh, a lot of these tools can be effective. Okay. Well, it's interesting you use the word predict because I, I literally have down here, it's page 19 of your book. And you said, what we are thinking about is a better predictor of yeah. our happiness than what we are doing. And I think that stuck out for me because you said of our happiness, you didn't say our success. So if I am out here doing, and it honestly made me think about, there's a guy, I don't know his name or read about him in runner runner's world. Uh, I think he's an ultra marathon guy and he has known he's an outspoken guy. He is known to, he's consistently battling deep depression, suicidal thoughts. I mean, that is his life. And the running aspect is a big I don't know if he says this, but medicine, but if you were to look at this guy, you would say, gosh, what he is doing looks like a predictor of success mm. and he's a star runner. So it must be a predictor of his success. Now this is in his vocation. Let's just put it in a vocational standpoint, but you didn't say that you said it's a predictor of happiness. He obviously apparent, oh, not apparently he's outspokenly. He's not happy. He's not yeah. happy. So he's doing these. Yeah, go ahead. Well, um, so there, there's, a, there's always variability with, okay. with everything, right? And so I think on the whole, you, you can draw a conclusion that people who are um, clinically depressed um, aren't doing as well and usually compared to those who are not. Um, there's, a, there's actually, there was a statistic released by the World Health Organization this past year, putting a price tag um, on 
chatter in the form of anxiety and depression. So, you know, does that have any implications for the global economy in terms of lost productivity? And the answer was yes. And the number was $1 trillion, right? So it's a huge number. That's what depression and anxiety can, can do to people's performance. Um, this person seems to be a clear outlier. But the, the point I'm trying to make with that comment that what you're thinking is a better predictor of how you're going to feel than what you're doing right. is the experience of you. You have kids? Yeah, a bunch. Okay. How, how old are they? Uh, the youngest is nine and the oldest is 26. Okay. Wow. So you've, you've, you've traversed the, the experience, but so the idea here is you're at the soccer field with, with your kids yeah. and this should be pure joy. They're scoring goals. They're getting into it, but you're thinking about something at work and it's bringing you down or you're on a, a, a carnival ride, a roller coaster, right? Like it is designed to make you feel fun make you feel joy, not fun, uh, have fun, but your mind's somewhere else. And so you're not immersed. You're, you're not, you know, immersing yourself, savoring that experience. That's what that, that idea is getting at the, the thoughts that is the intermediary that channels our experience. And um, like, I've, I've had that experience at the soccer field, right? Like I, I look at my email, I shouldn't do that, but I do. And I see, ah, uh, got to deal with this stuff. And then I'm thinking about it rather than just doing the thing that is normally my favorite thing in the world, screaming my head off at my kids, yeah. you know, up, not, in a, not in a negative way, but you know what I mean? Right. Just immersing. And so that's what the statement speaks to. Well, you know, I got it. You just mentioned anxiety and I feel like I, I know that this topic is is talked about to some degree ad nauseum, but it just is. And uh, again, on I think I I and we tend to minimize, even though we hear all the content about anxiety, about the growing issues in our culture, and especially with response or in, in regards to you know social media and our digital age and how it's increasing. In this specific aspect of chatter. How do you see that talking about kids? I mean, how do you look at your kids with social media, with the growing anxiety and try to influence what they're doing, how they are partaking, because you realize what this is doing to influence their chatter. Social media in particular. Okay. Is that, is yeah, 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 yeah. Um, social media is, um, is a really interesting question, both asking me as a scientist, but also as a parent. Yeah. And um, we've done a lot of research on this. And my feeling about social media is, um, let me give you it from the science point of view, and then I'll give you from what I do with it as a parent. Perfect. Um, social media is not good or bad. You know, we hear a lot nowadays, the, the narrative is about how toxic social media is, how it can create, um, instigate feelings of depression and anxiety, in particular among young girls, teenage girls, um, it, it can have those consequences, but it can also have positive consequences. And I think what we need to do is think about social media, not as this thing that's good or bad, but instead we need to start thinking about social media as a new environment mm -hmm. that we spend a lot of time interacting in. And what we know about environments are environments aren't good or bad. Like think about the world around us. You are interacting with your environment every day. And you have learned from experiences with your parents or caretakers, as well as your 
early childhood experiences, you've learned how to navigate this environment optimally. I'm going to guess that your parents probably told you when growing up, like, hey, you shouldn't go to these places at night. And this is not the way to talk to people. Like if someone disagrees with you, Kevin, you don't want to like just do this to their face, like stick up your middle fingers, what I just did. You are socialized. You are taught how to navigate this world to reap benefits from it and not be brought down by it. We haven't yet had enough time to a learn how to navigate social media well and then teach our kids how to do it we've just been presented with this new world and it's been like all right well do whatever you want figure it out for yourself and what we've learned is that there are certain ways of navigating that space that can be really harmful for example we know that social media makes it really easy for us to curate the way we present ourselves to other people, right. right? We choose our best, our best pictures, wittiest posts. And when you're just consuming that curated information, that can make you feel really bad about your own life in ways that create chatter. So knowing about that, which we now do from research, like I tell my kids about that. I communicate to them that what you're seeing isn't a real reflection of the individual. And I also like encourage them to not just mindlessly scroll through people's Instagram feeds. I asked them, hey, what, what is that actually doing for you? Are you deriving a benefit? So there I'm trying to, to help tailor the way they interact with that space. That's one example. Um, I, I think social media is something that can do great, great goodness for people. Um, it provides kids with the ability to ask for help and get it when it comes to things that range from homework to you know difficult problems in their lives and so my real hope is that we can we can work to create social media networks that um really accentuate the positive and leave leave all of these kind of chatter landmines aside i mean this this entire concept um that you brought you brought it in such a tangible way to me i, I love the research and the spirit that you brought it in i mean this is the ziggler show we talk about negative self-talk this is not a new thing and yet it's a different day and age and what i found as i went through your book ethan to your credit is just that i have not been giving enough gravity to some of the habits which is our next show together, some of the habits in my own, uh, in my own, my own mental state uh, that I'm allowing. And yeah, back to the termites concept and uh, man, it's just a great tool. And, and you know, I, I, I'm shameless in promoting, but folks, the book, this is the place to go. I feel like we hit about one 50th of the value in the book and some of the concepts of it. We could talk for four hours or so, but man, I'm just grateful for your research, grateful for doing what you've done to bring this uh, to the forefront. And I have an idea that I'm going to be talking about it continually and probably have some more questions for you. Maybe you'll answer my texts. So I, Hey, you've got, you've got the bat, the, the bat phone number now. So call whenever you like. Um, and, uh, and thanks for the, thanks for having me on and, and the wonderful, wonderful words. I really appreciate my that. honor. This show with Ethan Cross continually has me thinking about the voices in my head and not getting upset about them, but having grace, taking a deep breath and just reframing things, calming down, not being a victim. And as he says, leveraging the voices instead of disparaging them or rejecting them. His book again is called Chatter, the voice in our head, why it matters and how to harness it. And again, you can connect with Ethan at Ethan Cross, that's with a K, cross.com.
Coming up next in episode 978 of The Ziggler Show, I asked the audience this question. Do you feel so-called oppressive and controlling people and institutions are really winning? Are they getting away with something? Are they experiencing real success? And this came from a talk I recently attended by Jordan B. Peterson. And if you're not a fan of his, it's okay, uh, as the show is not about him, but simply about a topic he posed and I felt was really relevant. Tom Ziegler joined me to talk through how we all perceive power and how that perception alters us for better or worse. That is the point of the show. Till then, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together. Together.